0: Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? This is Trevor. You can uh, find us over at patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. Uh, By joining for $5 a month, you get access to double the episodes, so free and paywalled episodes paywalled episodes are up to about 130 episodes at this point so you get access to a lot of bonus content for just like five dollars a month you get access to the discord voice and chat servers where in addition to talking to other patrons you get to get a preview of which guests we have coming up and offer any questions that you want them asked so it's a pretty good deal patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks you can email us at champagne at gmail.com uh which is an ironic enough email address considering uh the book and the topic we're talking about today but with us we have uh, yasha levine and uh, if you could tell us who you are where we could find you and the title
1: and subject of your most recent book which is what which we're talking about today uh sure hey how's it going um
0: not bad not bad
1: uh yes all right so my name is Yash Levine uh i am a uh, i guess i'm a journalist uh although you know journalism is kind of dead these days so but i still i still try to be a journalist um and i'm an author of a book the latest one is called Surveillance Valley the secret military history of the internet and as you can probably tell by the title. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a history of the internet and it's a kind of a unique history of the internet because it uncovers the sort of the backstory of where this technology comes from, uh, a story that you actually won't find in any other, um, any other book or any other history book about the internet. And, and that backstory has to do with the origins of this technology in sort of the counterinsurgency campaigns of the, of the, of the Vietnam War and generally the kind of uh, the sort of, sort of counterinsurgency mentality of the American political establishment back in the 1960s and 1970s that really was looking for a way to manage populations to, and to manage strife and manage wars abroad, uh, and but also wars at home uh, to kind of spy on people and watch what they're doing and kind of figure out what, what the hell is going on. So the internet comes out of that and I tell that story. It's a, a story that has never been told, uh, so it's, uh, so I, I kind of rediscover it in this book.
0: One thing I found interesting was there was stuff in here that I think is very common in the myth-making of the internet, but then there were certain stories that seemed a little crazy because you would think they would come up in the histories, but I guess it's a case of history being written by the victors, like the student protests that happened. A uh, place was like,
1: uh, was it MIT? Was yeah, that... it was at MIT at Harvard. Yeah, in both of them, but MIT primarily.
0: And it really doesn't get brought up that much. Also, the NBC, the NBC report that was kind of an expose on the internet. And one thing that struck me about both these reports, the features that they kind of put in these uh, protests, you know, that were supposed to scare people, to me, sound like something that an app company would list. To lure people, uh, you know, like this new this new network is going to tie x, y, and z together to give you access to x, y, and z, do all this stuff. And I was thinking if you were to tweak this from a private company, it sounds like a sales pitch now, like
1: yeah, you, yeah, you mean like you it, mean it, like the the, the the kind of the literature that I quote the sort of the protest literature or whatever, or like the or you mean like the proposal for for this one of these surveillance programs that was in the early internet. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, you mean like you mean like it's very current. It sounds very current. Like it could be today, right? Is that what you mean? It
0: sounds very. It sounds very current, but it also sounds like something that now would titillate people. Like you mm-hmm. know, someone says you can get access to all this information about different people, all these services. In the old reports, they kind of made it sound like this is something to scare you shitless. Whereas, yes. I see what you're now, saying, yeah.
1: I think it would titillate people. No, no, uh, yeah. Think. The perception is totally different, right? So, like, where you're like, oh, I can get access to all the, you know, uh, left-wing revolutionaries, you know, in Latin America. I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know. <laughs> whereas, yeah, be- whereas yeah. before, it's like, it's like they're gonna spy on all the revolutionary movements in Latin America. This is, you know, this is like a police state. They're gonna crush everybody. Yeah. No, I mean that's one of the things that I, I address in the book, which is this total shift that happened in people in the cultural attitude towards c- computers. Um, That shift that happened basically sometime in the 80s, you know, there isn't like a a clear line, um, but it just it's but it was a pretty fast cultural shift. I mean, so just to back up, like computers, like from the moment they appeared in popular culture and in just sort of like in in people's lives, when people began to be aware of them, like really starting in the 1950s, but really in the 1960s, and 1970s, like. Computers were not seen as like, oh, this is cool. This is, um, this is a cool tool. uh, this is going to, I'm going to have fun with it. Or like, I'm going to, it's going to make life so much easier for me. Right. As like, as a, as a person, people saw them as tools of like, of repression and, and like power. Right. So the only entities that had access to these computers, because they're extremely expensive, they're large, are giant corporations and, and giant governments. You know, not even every government could afford these computers. Right. Because they were just c- cutting edge. And so like. When people thought about computers, um, they thought about like giant political systems, right? Uh, And usually systems that wanted to track you in some way, because that's what these computers are for. They're like about for for crunching numbers, right? Crunching data. And that data came from the outside world. Usually, you know, it had to do with population, like the economy, what people were doing, uh, like, you know public opinion and so it it's it, it was a ma- it was seen as a management tool for the political elite right of, of America and so in the 1960s and 1970s which were a radical time in America and you know there was a lot of basically a kind of a lot of dissent uh, from the establishment at the time like computers were seen as the enemy I mean just as a default approach to them right like it's it's like it was just like computer means like someone is trying to control you, right? Or, um, and so now, of course, it's completely different. I mean, it's starting to switch a little bit um, in the last couple of years. But really, computers starting from the 90s and even the 80s were presented and accepted in American society as these tools of liberation. Um, you're going to get a computer, you know, that's going to like allow you to connect to the world, uh, connect with people, chat with people, like get all this information. Um, it's going to make you really powerful, right, uh, as, a, as an individual. So they were sold to us starting in the 1980s as, uh, as a technology of empowerment and personal liberation. Whereas just a decade before that, I mean, people were literally smashing like their campus in order to get computer research out of their university, right? And I mean, to the point where uh, the agency that developed the internet uh, is called now DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. Uh, back then it was called ARPA. I mean, actually had to like remove one of the supercomputers from a campus because it was under threat by like student protesters. Yeah, so that's like and, the, and the, yeah, that's the, sort of the thing big change. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, one thing was fascinating about that part about destroying the uh, computer is like, I feel like now people will go crazy if they didn't have access to the uh, internet, like, like on a campus. Like if, insta- if social media and the uh, Wi-Fi went down on the whole campus, <laughs> I think that's what you would need to actually start a campus-wide protest. like No, totally, these like yeah, yeah, to de- yeah. yeah, people want, wouldn't wanna destroy the network and the computer. They would wanna destroy the campus if it was uh, deprived for them. Like like one thing that jumped out at me when he described funny. that thing, where they wanted to destroy the computer and there was protest over this idea the internet is jump forward to the future and one of the most nefarious, one of the most nefarious in, in a lot of people's minds, uh, internet project that was similar to this with data mining Facebook got its start on a campus as something used by uh, students, or students oh, were mm-hmm. making the prototype. You talking or about Facebook? Yeah, how it be-
1: began, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. How Facebook began, or how uh, Google began with students and a in yeah, like a, a research project
1: at a university in Stanford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It all starts at universities, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and students are the ones who are now trying to create these uh, these programs, and students are like the early adopters of these things mm-hmm. now. It's. Uh, It's a big, it's a big shift, right? I mean, you know,
1: like computer research has always been tied to universities. Like, um, I mean, that's just sort of the way it's been done. I mean, like really most of the computer science departments that exist in in, in major universities, I mean, they were set up by the Pentagon. I mean, like they, the funding came actually from ARPA, um, you know, the agency that created the internet It was called ARPANET, the original version of it in in the late 60s. I mean, they were actually like, there were... Computer science didn't even exist as a separate um, as a separate uh, category of study. I mean, it was kind of under electrical engineering. And so, as part of this program, actually that created the internet and created the personal computer because those two things are actually intertwined. I mean, people think like the personal computer and the internet are somehow like d- different technologies, but they're not. They were actually created in parallel by the same uh, Pentagon agency. Like comp- personal computers are always meant to be linked together uh, with you know with something like the internet. Uh, because you know, a computer is kind of useless when it's on its own, right? Like you, the point is to actually share information and to communicate. Like it set up most of these computer science departments as part of that program, uh, with with like ongoing grants and funding that the Pentagon provided. And so it's not surprising that when you know when you go like thirty years ahead into the future and you get to companies like Google or Facebook, I mean, they come out of computer science departments. And so it's uh, it's it's not surprising because those things are like the hotbed. Of, of where this technology came from and the whole purpose that why they were created is to, to develop this technology.
0: I think one thing that's interesting to me and correct me if I'm wrong, the the impression I got from your book was that it was always in the departments, but in you know, one time it was like the professors or like high level, uh, grad students or whatever, mm-hmm. but the average, um, students were still kind of, uh, revolutionary and skeptical about uh, the application of this stuff where now it's still on the campuses, but it's, all the way down to like the incoming freshmen are fully on board with all the implications of this. So it's it's still on the campuses, but the nature of how it's on the campuses has evolved some.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, like I'd say, you kind of have to, I think, it's a good point you're making about like the the different ways, right, that people are approaching this stuff. Like it's completely almost oblivious or completely accepting. I mean, it's not like surprising, I guess, because the internet has become much more much more than what it was when it first was launched. I mean, at first it was this pretty rudimentary way of connecting these computers and connecting computers and like the various software that allowed you to work with data, to communicate, you know, it was pretty rudimentary stuff uh, at the time. And of course, you know, the internet is now is not just that, like, it's not just a tool of the government to spy on you or to like process uh, surveillance data and to share it. Uh, it's just like, it's part of modern life, right? I mean, people can't date if they don't have the internet. People can't order food if they don't have the internet. Uh, you know, like people can't get music, listen to music or watch movies or um, read books, right? Like, we're like, you know, hang out with their friends and like decide what to do like tomorrow, right? I mean, like, it's like, it's just, yeah. it's sort of a platform that underlies just life, you know, and, and like, you know, in all of its mundane kind of aspects. Um so like um, so it's like it's, it makes sense people would rebel and, and like are totally on board because like I don't know they, what the hell would they do without it, right? Um it's it's so important yeah, to them. It, yeah. It's
0: true. I mean, and to a degree, you could opt out, but if in a way, like our personal lives are like an arms race, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, okay, say I don't date with the internet or I don't buy books with the internet. Like like I'll give you an example of an irony that came across me while preparing for this, right? Mm-hmm. I invited you on to be recent uh very recently because I did a show about uh Black Identity Extremists and the recent uh, report by uh Donald Trump's FBI about how they're gonna monitor uh identity black identity extremists. And there was all this stuff about monitoring the internet and like, basically a modern day COINTELPRO and stuff. Yeah. And based on that show, somebody said, Hey, you should read uh Joshua Levine's book, it's really good and it's kinda ties into that because it's about surveillance and the internet, which is some of the stuff they were proposing mm-hmm. in that memo. It was a it was a leaked memo that uh, the Young Turks did. And so I invited you, I got your book through Kindle, and I got the um, Audible version, mm-hmm. like you know, th- th- 3D internet. I yeah. listened at like 3.5 times speed while using Google Docs to make notes. <laughs> and then I'm cutting pasting through the Kindle in- into the uh, <laughs> Google Docs, making notes. And then as I'm walking around, I'm opening Google Docs on my phone to continue to uh, listen to the Audible version on my, on my cell phone, which, you know, is made by Apple. That I'm, And I'm thinking about the whole like, kind of hypocrisy of it. Is in without all this stuff that the book is criticizing, I would have needed probably a month to do the equivalent of the work. So in a way, it's like I'm kind of buying into this whole cybernetics. Like I'm a human cyborg, you know. Totally. To, to do, and I'm sure to a degree... As journalists, if you don't opt into this stuff, you can't function.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, yeah, totally, man. I mean, look, I mean, even to, so, I mean, to continue your story, I mean, we're talking through the internet right now, right? I mean, yep, I'm, exactly. I, I got like a one computer in front of me. I got another, I got an iPad in front of me. I got my, I got my iPhone. To, to the right of my computer, I got an iPad to the left of my computer, you know, I got like, yeah. I got like another computer upstairs, you know, I got like, I mean, I don't know, I got like, you know, there's an Apple watch somewhere. I mean, it's ridiculous, obviously, right? I mean, but, but, yeah. but I think it, I think this opt out dichotomy is not the right way. Cause it's just, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, Bullshit argument. I think. I mean, not you, not that you're making it. It just that's sort of like always. Yeah, there. I understand. It's always like what people say. Well, it's like you you uh, you know you criticize like you know you know I don't know BP. Oh well, do you drive a car? You know, like or do you use? <laughs> you know, it's like well, yeah, I know. But like so, but we the point of you know the point of history books and the point of journalism and the point of this stuff is not to like to pretend like to to f- figure out ways to sort of disengage completely from the world because that's actually not you can't do that. I mean, you can try to hide but that doesn't yeah. actually change the world around you, right? So it's like, in fact, I kind of addressed that in the book a little bit. There's a whole commune movement, right? That tried to like sort of create a new societies and to unplug from the world, to drop out, right? And to like, and like, but that doesn't, you don't really drop out because you can't like, you know, you can't drop off the face of the planet, like where we all live. Like everything that happens around there still affects you, even if you don't pay attention to it or build a wall, right? Like you can't really build a wall. You still, we sh- we share the air that, you know, like things just, we live on, in, on one, on one, on one planet, in one society, really a global society. And so like everything is interconnected. And so the point is to just sort of like try to understand what the, where this stuff came from and why it acts in the way that it does, right? Like why like this technology functions in a certain way, why it it's used in a certain way, like why certain people in, in society have power over this technology and why we actually have no power over, the, over this stuff, right? I mean, we buy all this stuff, we use all this stuff, but like, we have no say in actually what we're using, right? So like, they're just creating this stuff for us and giving it to us or selling it to us. And there's actually, we have no like ability to control that or to dictate what shape it takes, right? Like we can be, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and so like, so I think- No, no, just, no, no, yeah.
0: no, I, I totally know what you mean. And I think uh, the reason I bring all that stuff up is I think one of the- um, quote-unquote, uh, traps of it, is that it does give you genuine uses, like yes. the promise of cybernetics, which you bring up in the book, or the the promise of, like, the utopianism, that guy, what's his name, uh, Linklider? Uh, there's Linklider and there's uh, N- N- Norbert Wiener, the, the original yeah, cybernetic Nor- guy, yeah. Yeah, Norbert Wiener, the original cybernetics guy, and, and Linklider, who uh, was even a more messianic believer in the power of the internet. This idea that you confuse... Uh, people and technology into like these uh cyborgs it's not a hundred percent bullshit like there really is um positive like leveraging uses of a technology when combined with people and of course and it's yeah and that's what I think makes it tricky is how to get the most positive use out of that. But totally, it's really gets tempting. You can see how those students changed over generations to get um, seduced by it because, like, like, I think the lesson of your book is that you have to be conscious of it. You can't just walk in uh,
1: blind. Yeah, totally. No, and and like and why? And, you know, yes, exactly. You can't be blind. I mean, look, cybernetics is is I think there's a lot of truth to what to to like this the conceptual framework of that, right? Which is that like in the sense that on some level you know we are these kind of strangely evolved like biological i mean i don't i don't want to say machines cuz it's like it's a bit of a loaded thing but we're like these like these kind of creatures right that like we don't even know why the hell we exist Uh, and we interact with this, like, larger natural world around us that's also, like, exists for not clear what the purpose of it is other than the fact that it just exists and wants to reproduce itself, right? And we're, like, in this sort of, like, connection to the world and to each other, and we, and a a lot of that is, like, about information, right? So, we, like, you know, uh, we respond to inputs, and we, like, you know, um, and we sort of, there's a lot of transfer of actual information between people and between, like, like the world. And so you can create these artificial machines that sort of work in symbiosis with like the the natural world, right? And we've created them. I mean, I mean, you know, like any tool is a kind of a cybernetic thing, but like we've created them. You know, we have GPS, you know, that guides us, you know, to where to go. We have all these computers that like are, like right now we're talking on this podcast, you know, I'm sending my voice through this machine that's attached to my hand. I'm holding it, the mic in my hand, you know, like through a wire, uh, then wirelessly to some, you know, like across the, you know, I'm in LA right now so like you're in in Brooklyn um, yeah, exactly. and so like you know like that's a pretty that's a cybernetic like that's a we're almost like gods here right because we can talk across this vast space um it's kind of it's amazing um and so uh, it, yeah. it's interesting yeah.
0: you use the god analogy because that's like a constant through your book even in the early arpanet Linklider days is this kind of messianic view of the internet like i was surprised someone even in, involved in the military had such a messianic uh utopian view i just figured that was more like a a modern thing and the original guys just had a goal they wanted to get done which was counterinsurgency and stuff but even in the midst of that this messianic zeal, and when one guy was even literal, like he kind of fused the messianic view of the internet with his
1: Christianity. That guy, Kevin Kelly, at the yes, um, yeah, the guy who's one of the uh, found, found, found the, like the kind of the original editors of uh Wired Magazine, yeah,
0: yeah, it's a constant kind of stream that there's a sense that the super network, uh, that the internet allows you to create is somehow like a pathway to either communing with god or becoming like a new god uh yeah. i think so you have a quote Sergi brun even says like a search engine in his mind is like
1: the mind of god yeah no i know it's true it's like it's yeah it, it, it the, the the sort of the utopia dystopia thing runs through the whole like you know it basically that's sort of the the larger theme of the book is like a fa- failed utopia right um like or failed utopias because like a lot of these guys, you know, in the military, I mean, they, they really believed that, you know, like that this technology was something, it wasn't just like cynical, you know, um, they, that they really believed it was going to change the world in a huge way. And that, and that it was going to kind of create, you know, a, a new, more efficient, and it was going to expand like mankind's capacity, right, and power uh, to do things. I mean, you know, yeah, and, you know what? You know that, what's amazing to me though. I'd like mm-hmm. just if I can. Like, so remember You're, you were saying like, oh yeah, you know, I was doing these notes and I was sort of looking on my phone and I was like reading the Kindle and like it would take me like a month to do this if without the internet. But you know what's surprising to me though? Like one thing that when you go back and look at you look at like. Things that were happening in this in the 70s or in the 60s and how people were because there was like a lot of the things that were, were, were happening then, that we're doing now like radio shows or like journalism research and all these things that people were doing back then and doing it quite well actually I'd, I'd say better than a lot of the stuff that we're doing now i mean because 19 the 1960s and 1970s were like the golden age of american journalism and when you and 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 when you go back and look at like the stuff that was being produced it's like it's really high quality thoughtful Stuff. I mean, obviously not all of it, but like, um, especially towards technology. You no, know? so and like, and, and every story, you know, took a long time to report or it took longer. You know, you'd have to talk to people, you'd have to like go to the library, you'd have to go to the archives, but then you were expected to do less, you know, so people weren't as burdened with things, right? So, yeah. yeah. And so, and so it gave people like a space to sort of like uh integrate things and to, and to look around and to search for things and 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 to not be on this hamster wheel because I I know that like even in my own you know I'm 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 what what am I now I have to I have to count it every day. I'm 38 years old right so in my own like journalism career I've noticed how like as the internet kind of sped up and like the the the, the demand for breaking news a constant cycle you know that that's on always is increased like the demands and 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 the like the 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 output that's demanded of journalists has also gone up. And so journalists just generally have like, less time to do stuff. And, and the technology helps you do more in that in, in a shorter period of time, but you're just cramming so much more. So you're actually like working a lot more and in a way yeah. more superficial about everything. And so I don't know if it's like true. actually speeding things up. I think that's kind of a, an interesting conversation to have, you know, like, or an interesting, because people might have different perspectives on it. Like what's good for society, you know, what do we think is good for us? Do we want to have this like always on, never ending kind of rat race kind of technology? Or do we want like this kind of technology that wa- that works with a more of a natural kind of rhythm of, that, that people are in, you know, and that gives people yeah. some space. But like, we don't really have any say over this technology or how, how it's designed. I mean, it's designed by these giant companies right now, right? Like, and yeah. basically backed by the national security states. So the way that this technology looks, you know, right now to us is basically designed by these forces over which we have no control. And so because like, you know, Facebook wants to make money off of you and spy on you, it creates its product in a certain way, you know, like, and because like, uh, you know, Apple wants to make money off of you in a certain way, it creates its, sort of, you know, like computers in a certain way. Um, the way that Google wants to make money off of you, it creates its own products in a certain way. And like, it's, they're designed to be addictive, right? They're designed to siphon up all your all your data. Um, they, they want you to be on this technology as much as possible, you know? Um, yeah,
0: and, and, and they're designed to work with each other, which also makes them um, hard to escape because the convenience of how everything syncs, yes. I think is another thing. Yeah,
1: and, and so, I mean, I think it's like really kind of about, po- I mean, one of the things that I, I mean, like I, in the end of the book, I, I try to like discuss is that we have no power over, over over this stuff. It's like private property, you know, owned by these giant companies that that that, that are closely and closely cooperated with the national security states. And so these twin things, like like the demands of Wall Street, essentially, right, and the demands of the national yeah. security state, they are the two things, two forces that determine what this technology looks like and how it's how, how it's made and the products that are put out in front of our faces right like and so yeah. we have no way of like there is no democratic input into that whatsoever there's a market <laughs> input but like but that's it you know
0: yeah and something that you said that i strongly agree with like when i said that it's not physically possible for me to do what i did to prepare for the show in such a short amount of time before the uh, internet or whatever that doesn't necessarily mean that like you said it's a good thing because I think the fact that everyone can do this now has kind of led to a world where people just think faster is better because the option of faster is always there. And that's just that the option of faster is always there. The option of slower is no longer there. Like if you talk about something, God forbid, a week after it broke, it's already considered dated news now. you, Oh, yeah, totally. This, yeah. Yeah. In this era of click driven um, things. And uh, like there's this old saying that says, uh, like, great minds discuss. Uh, ideas, average minds discuss events and mm-hmm. like, small minds uh, discuss people. But I think it takes time to talk about ideas. You can't, you know, to develop an idea it takes time. Mm-hmm. And in this microwave popcorn um, culture and this technology that enables that all our journalism is about now is just what happened not why it happened what larger idea does it uh tie into you know it's just about people and events and it's hard to kind of get uh journalism about you know what ideals are being threatened by this like that expose on the internet, 1975 by the NBC guy. I forgot. I forgot his name. I feel oh, like Ford you wouldn't Rowan, really find yeah. that.
1: T- Ford Rowan. Yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like you wouldn't find that today in the NBC profile. No way, it man. Would just be the- no way. Yeah. I mean, no uh, way.
1: Uh, like network television doing an actual. I mean, you know, he spent weeks reporting that. Maybe, maybe even months. If you, if you factor in like you know the, the the sources that he had to cultivate, like back in the day, like you know, just so that people would trust him and come to him with this stuff. You know, to have actual reporting. A story that was reported by a TV journalist, like he went in and like actual did work, you know, and got new information. It wasn't just some like thing that came to him, right? Like something that just, you know, someone gave to him some scoop or some like commentator, you know, making some allegation about somebody. I mean, that's it's unheard of, you know, like so when you when you watch this thing, you're like, wait a second. This is uh, 1975. He's talking about the internet and he's talking about the internet over a period of three days, like on prime yeah. time. Oh, oh, news.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's another thing. Three days on uh, like and
1: like and then straight. like and he's actually talking about the technical how it works. He's like actually there are like diagrams and stuff, you know, on the screen about how like like what's different about this technology, why it's you know relevant. And it's like, wait, you don't get that a kind of discussion about the inter- internet today, you know, like about how it's made. And so
0: And, yeah. and projecting into the future about like the implications of it all is nuts. Yeah, um, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of your book, but before I do, I want to ask like a bigger question about the book. Like, how has the reception to it been? Like, uh, that that you found, as far as like from your peers and from other people.
1: I mean, the reception is pretty good. It, like, it it got like you know it got. I mean, it it, it well, I'll tell you. I mean, it, there's there's been two there's been kind of let's say three categories of three categories. So you, you can like sorted into three different categories one is that people are very supportive they, people like the book readers generally are very positive about it you know like people there's people in some just the sort of the the general you know re- reader is seems to be kind of into it because it's it shows them this kind of forgotten and uh, buried history of the internet and, and, and helps explain why what the hell happened and why we got this kind of ugly internet that we have now it's dominated by spies and it's dominated by giant corporations um there's people who are like who, you know, historians of the internet or people who are, who are kind of activists in uh, the internet space or journalists who are like very much um, uh, in sort of in connected to this sort of utopian idea about the internet. They've been not very happy with the book. So I've had some reviews, um, you know, that like really tried to poke holes in my, in my, in my argument or in in my, in my, in my research and to, and to, say that actually I'm like, you know, conspiratorial, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of like con- making, connecting dots where they don't exist. Um, mm, that's exactly, uh,
0: what I want to, uh, talk about. Uh, because yeah, I, I got I'm glad you said that because I got a sense myself that there was something personal in some of those reviews that I saw. Like, like it felt like when someone believes in a religion by you talking about it, they feel like you're attacking it. Uh, um, some of the views I I've, I've read I felt were whether deliberately or not didn't seem to
1: quite kind of be
0: on point and and I'll, I'll explain why but I'll let you mm-hmm. continue.
1: Yeah yeah no no I mean no please I mean I'm curious yeah. Okay
0: oh, okay like like I read this one in the Guardian by uh, Andrew Anthony and he was. He was saying like it was conspiratorial, but he was kind of accusing you of stuff that I didn't think you were kind of quite doing in the book. And it kind of made me think, okay, where is he coming from with this? Because he was kind of saying that, like he says, what does this um, actually mean? What are America's military interests? What's going on? And to me, and you might correct me, maybe I'm wrong, I didn't get the point that you were trying to say there's this nefarious conspiracy with a very specific behind all this if anything people have kind of lost the plot like it's just kind of a whole bunch of different people with different goals sometimes the goals are kind of bullshit like how the was it arpa like in vietnam um how those people kind of yeah. It started out with intelligence, but then after a while, the inmates were running the asylum and nobody even, people were just generating information, more information than they can use. And everyone was just trying to get contracts and stuff their pockets. Yeah. Like, like, like I think people kind of want an overarching narrative with a villain and a, a clear blown plot. And I didn't really get the idea that you were trying to say there's some giant overarching plot more, so much as there's recurring disturbing themes that are ripe for exploitation, it keeps leading to the same place a lot. People are ignoring the potential
1: abuses that can be had. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that review is ridiculous. I mean it's almost like the guy didn't like I mean first oh, of all Did
0: you it, read that did you read that one?
1: Um, you mean the, the Guardian one? I think so. I think I know which yeah. one you're talking about. Yeah. It's like the Guardian one. I mean
0: <laughs> It was like he read a different it was like he read a different book. Like like he was critiquing it for something that it wasn't trying to say yeah.
1: And that I wasn't even guilty of. Like, it was a very weird. Yeah, thing. I mean, like, it's just, look, it's like. I mean, basically, I'll tell you what his problem with it with book was. I mean, what's the unstated problem, right? Unstated uh, it, yeah, it is it's basically, to him, it's like too left wing or something. You know, like it's basically too um, critical of sort of uh, American sort of empire and uh, Amer- America's sort of uh, flexing of its muscles abroad. And uh, this, uh, this American obsession with dominating not only sort of the world, but like its own population and just this, this paranoid and exploitative mindset uh, that, that like runs through, you know, the, the entire book. And really, like, is at the heart of the uh, at the heart of the internet. I mean, the internet really is like came out of the out of the Cold War, right? It it came out of America's paranoia about like the Soviet Union and about the, the spread of communism everywhere. I mean, that's kind of a big reason why the internet exists um, because of like, because yeah. of paranoia. And so he doesn't, I mean, so what his problem was, I'm sure is that it was like, it's too critical of America. It's too critical of American corporations. It's too critical too critical of America's military, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, oh yeah, just, you know, big deal, you know, like that kind of. That, yeah. That, yeah.
0: And, and there was even a line in it where he says, uh, they, you know, he's critical as long as it's in the West, yeah. you know, as in like kind of saying that, oh, you're uh I I should be criticizing China or
1: something. Yeah, like if I'm- Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was kind of weird because you weren't giving China a pass at all. It was just a weird, at first it was very superficial, but it was kind of endemic what we're talking about, this popcorn microwave uh, culture where it's like this thing was more interested in just keeping people from reading the book and making up whatever it had to rather than actually taking the time. I felt like before somebody who didn't like the book would have tried to make a good faith engagement in the book try to take it down. Like, like, I feel like that used to happen more often, whereas now it's like, I just want to say something negative about this book and I'll I'll bullshit if I have to and lie. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe a guy has to just turn out copy, you know? It's like, and he just, you know, he's like, that's part of his things that he has to do is to review books once in a while. So he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, no, but but I mean, there are a couple of... um I mean yeah there's another there's a couple of reviews like that I'd say there were no real like there was there was a couple of attempts to actually engage with it and like to to prove me wrong by interviewing someone from that world who says oh no I didn't have like this, you know, any, like I wasn't doing anything like that's connected to surveillance. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like there's a couple of ones that try to do that, but they completely fell flat because even if they're, as they were trying to prove me wrong, they inadvertently proved me right because they started talking about certain things that actually, if you actually know the depth, the the, the deeper story about those projects, they actually confirm uh, my, uh, my, uh, my thesis. And because those things were actually had like a dual use to them in the sense that, like, on the one hand, they were like academic, but on the other hand, there was an actual explicit intelligence, uh, function to them, right. And a surveillance function. But actually these guys might even not have the clearance to know that. Right. I mean, because mm-hmm, that's the exactly. whole thing. That's the whole thing about the, the the creation of the internet. So the creation of the internet was like di- dis- distributed. It wasn't centralized. I mean, it was centralized in the sense that there were managers and ARPA sitting in the Pentagon. They moved out of the Pentagon at some point, but they're actually in the Pentagon. And they're sort of like directing and approving research grants and they're giving them out, right? So those guys have clearances, you know, top clearance, and they understand what's going on, you know? Then the, when the grant actually comes down to the particular like research group, there's like a leader of that group who, who might be a professor who might have clearance. But, and then the actual grad students or PhD students or really young sort of prof, uh, professors will be doing the actual work. And so they might not even be clear to know what they're working on in reality. So I mean, because all these things have like everything that's the, every, the internet has a dual use nature to it, right? Which is that something that could be used for consumer or academic purposes, right? Can also, have, has a flip side and could be used for military and intelligence purposes, right? Like, and so- Yeah,
0: and, and, it, sh- and it shot through with that from the beginning. Yeah. If anything, the, the military part
1: predates the yes, consumer yeah. and academic part. M- much more, but it, but, but it had, but like ARPA was a declassified network, although there were components to it that were classified. I mean, it, that mo- people didn't know about, you know, there was an interface between the ARPANET from one of so, the earliest years between the ARPANET and the NSA and there, there was a like an, an encrypted link that would, that only showed up as like a little node. And that's all you knew about it. That's all you knew about it. But so the internet could be used by, as like a pass-through network for encrypted and secure communications and traffic. But, but like, but, yeah. that... so, so like, you know, so a lot, a lot of these people who try to like disprove me or uh, by talking to someone with what, ha- what ends up happening is that they talk to someone who has like a piece of the puzzle. They're genuine, you know, they, they're saying what they know. And like, I believe them and, and I don't like, you know, I, and it's interesting, but there's like, you know, when you're, when you're writing a history and you're looking at things from a historical perspective, you kind of try to take the whole picture and try to, you know, integrate the different parts to it of it. And, and, and the internet has always been this multifaceted project that has both classified and declassified aspects. And like, no one, no one person, especially people who are like on the ground building the stuff. As uh, in, in at, at university campuses, as engineers, like they don't really have not only just they don't have one the the technical like big picture. They don't have maybe even sort of the political and, and kind of perspective that's even allows them to see what the hell's you know like. So they're kind of blind on 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 a lot of levels, and so it's it's and it, it makes it makes them kind of angry when you they have someone who wasn't there, right? Who doesn't know what he's talking about, like try to speak for them and try and and actually speak in a way that conflicts with their own vision of what they were doing you know because they didn't think of themselves as building some kind of surveillance machine
0: yeah i think something that's kind of trips people up too is i think if you don't get those two things but you have to get used to thinking of the internet as being heavily rooted in the military and government so that's one thing like you can't stick to the old you know american legend and narrative creation and invention being a story of a lone inventor a team of inventors who get together and have some insight you know and you know sit in a room and in a splash of inspiration something. like the internet is like is not it's not that it's very much government created military thing with all different types of clearances all different types of sub agencies some private some in-house various competing factions like at one point one big part of the internet was combining a bunch of smaller nets into one big net you know like in a bunch of independent independent uh networks that were created independently and trying to make them all communicate with each
1: other yeah which was was it tcpip yeah tcpip it's taking all the different yeah because there are different kinds of um different kinds of networks yeah so it's like i mean an internet is like a network of networks essentially right yeah yeah exactly Exactly. yeah yeah yeah.
0: But, but 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 some people even when they understand okay this is a government thing the second thing is you have to understand how government clearance actually works and i think Movies kind of fool us about this where they think clearance levels and declassification levels are like a linear thing. So it's like Mm. there's a person who's on level C is only clear to this level. But the person who's on level B knows everything below them. And the person above them, everything, like a Mm. nice, neat, linear umbrella. And it doesn't like work that way. Someone could be in the top of one organization and not know what somebody in the bottom of another organization. Like government is a lot less I think conspiracy theory is a comforting thing that makes us think that there's someone at the very top of it all uh, with government clearance who has the full picture of everything. And you just have to gradually work your way up to them. And I, In real life, there's stories like the FBI and the CIA both uh, working with Bayard Rustin. The FBI is surveilling Bayard Rustin and the CIA is working him as a agent. And neither knew the other was uh, totally. working. Even even a top person in the FBI had no idea anybody in the CIA was using uh, Bayard Rustin as a agent. Like yeah. history is full of this weird left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Top guy in one place has no idea what the about guy, even the president this things declassified from the president this things classified from the president that he doesn't know about
1: yeah it's no exactly yeah. yeah i mean and like and then and then you get to totally i mean like there's i mean there's so many big parts you know the, the federal government and like the the security apparatus is so huge that you I mean there's no way i mean like people know and even on a, something like the internet which is again distributed over many different universities has different programs um, and like, and the rationale for something actually might not, it might, it might only be half the story, right? Like um, it might be true, but it's also might be another story of how this stuff is is, is like intended to be used. And I mean, one, exa- one, great example is like when um, the first sort of European connection that the ARPANET made, um, I can't remember the date exactly. It's in the seventies at some point. Um, early 70s, it was like, oh, we're going to support this uh, research project that we have. Um, I think it was in Norway where we're monitoring um, uh, seismic activity, you know, earthquake research. It's like, oh, it's purely academic, blah, blah, blah. And so like it got an ARPANET connection, one of the earliest that went overseas, like it turns out that the actual, that whole thing was a front. The, the seismic research was a front. I mean, it was getting seismic data and it was being used by some academics, I believe. But it was actually a front in, in a surveillance program that was designed to spy on the Soviet Union and to make sure that it complied with the treaty that banned um, underground nuclear testing. So the U.S. and Russia, the Soviet Union signed a you know, treaty banning underground nuclear testing. And so America was a paranoid, it's like, oh, what if it's testing, you know, and, and like in secret, right? And so we're going to like yeah. put all these different um, seismic sort of um, like, uh, you know, monitoring uh, stations that monitor things for underground uh, like vibrations, right, and try to figure out if it's if it's from an atomic bomb. And so the ARPANET from its early days was actually part of it. What it was a surveillance ne- network to spy on the Soviet Union. To make sure that it wasn't, uh, it was complying with the, with a treaty, and so you know, like that is a surveillance network. I mean, so so, and the ARPANET was just like the pipe, essentially, right? So, like, you could connect pretty much anything to the ARPANET. It doesn't matter what kind of sensor you connect to it. You can connect a microphone, you know, and spy on people that way, or you can create a seismic, you know, connect a seismic center and 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 uh, and and connect it to the internet and send the data. So the internet is this connective tissue that can connect any kind of computer, and so. And so, like, but that was, like, when people were working on that, like, not everyone understood that that was an actual, you know, military, top secret military surveillance project, you you know? So, like...
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that the guy, uh, Linklater, gave a memo, particularly to assuage people's fears that they might be working on something military to kind of uh, put them at ease. Meanwhile, that's exactly what they were doing. But he knew some people might have a moral objection to that. So even from the early days, there were people kind of, being misled into not knowing what they were working on, which I think adds to this idea that the idea you can just go to somebody who worked on something and necessarily get the full story is has never been true in the history of no, totally. any of this.
1: Yeah, and especially, you know, you're dealing with, like you're dealing with engineers, they like to build stuff. I mean, for instance, like I remember, I know a couple of people that used to work at Google. Um, and like, I remember like in 2000, and, before I even started writing this book, like a couple of years before I started writing it, like 2000 and, God, I can't remember what the year was, maybe 12. You know, he was like a top-level guy at Google was working on an actual AI algorithm to do do visual recognition of objects, you know? And very smart guy, you know, PhD, like came up with his own stuff, came up with his own way of kind of uh, doing this kind of recognition of objects, which is very hard to do, apparently. And I just remember like, you know, having dinner with him and like saying, yeah, you know, like, you know, Google is just like spying on us, man. Like, and he just laughed in my face. He, like, laughed in my face. He called me a total, like, delusional uh, conspiracy theorist. Like, why would Google care what you're doing, man? Like, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's collecting the data, but, like, it's, no one's looking at that stuff. Like, it doesn't... And I just remember him just being so dismissive of it. Like, and this is a so, guy... So, 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 even, so even
0: he buys into
1: it. Yeah, and so, like, I think... I think, yeah, because you believe, like... And he's and he's literally building a surveillance tool, right? That would actually, you know, you, you show Google a picture of something, it, like, can recognize what's on there, right? Like, I mean... Like objects, which is, you know, like, oh, that's a car or like, that's the kind of car that it is. Or like, oh, that's a, you know, that's the kind of like make and model of a vehicle or something. I mean, seriously, like, that's like, wait, I know some people would love that technology. You know, um, like, you know, every, 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 every police agency and every, you know, intelligence agency in the world would love that. And so like that's the kind of like and i and i think if i talk to him now he'd like concede the point like and probably he wouldn't remember you know the, the conversation, conversation that we had back right. in the day because now it's sort of taken as a default that these companies are engaging in some sort of surveillance right like and 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 so like even just a sh- few short years changed it completely but i just remember just how completely dismissive he was of, of of just you know what to me seemed like a statement of 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 simple fact uh that google collects information and spies on us um but he was just it, it was kind of funny actually just the way that he just mocked me just kept mocking
0: yeah me. oh oh i, I could believe it. i'm sure there's people <laughs> who still who will still market uh all that stuff to this day you yeah know? It, but it, it's it's interesting because even people who don't mock it still have trouble getting the scope of it and what, what i mean is for example there was this app right mm-hmm. i don't have facebook i don't um use facebook but I mean, it doesn't really matter a lot of the times because other people will suck you into it. What I mean is like people will tag you or whatever in things that you're not on the service, you're not even on or something, or, or people will put your, attach your information to things. But one thing I found interesting, there was this app that was going around Twitter where it matches your face to an old painting. And if you put your face in it, it finds an old painting that you look like, or they find a celebrity that you look most like using a facial recognition software. And then all these people were mocking anybody who was using it and tweeting the results like, oh, you're giving your data to surveillance or whatever. And it's like, okay, these people are are all on Twitter, mm-hmm. use Instagram all day long and have Facebook accounts that they're uploading uh, pictures compulsively to, like, and they think somehow not jumping on this app, they have the laugh over everyone else who's jumping on the app. And it's like in a weird way, even though they're still skeptical of this process, these certain sites who are way huger and have a way bigger head start have been normalized in their mind as Normal, even though they probably have far more contacts and contracts with dangerous people and a bigger trove of data than this one or two new out the blue apps that they're so uh scared of. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird, like it's hard to really ever wrap your head around the scope of anything anymore.
1: No, exactly. I mean, I think, like, yeah, totally. I mean, I you hear you see this, it's like, oh my god, there's this, you know, yeah, like app you know oh my god it scans faces oh my god like oh it's like wait man like facebook man like it does that automatically like i don't know apple has that and all, my, all of my your photos it like does face facial recognition it's like oh google does the same thing it's like these are companies that you actually are engaged in on a daily basis i mean you like basically live on them you know like they're in yeah. your pocket you take photos but, like it's all uploaded to them right yeah they
0: become your friend like your yeah. everyday life you know and, it's, I mean? and
1: it's in the interest of these companies to basically try to like, you know, keep themselves in the background and like basically, you know, basically take out smaller players, you know, like, and, and, and (laughs) pretend like. Uh, you know, it's similar thing. You know, something happened like that with the 2016 election, like it, with the whole Cambridge Analytica, you know, scandal where everybody was freaking out. If you remember, like, you know, people like yep. people were even going like, delete Facebook, delete Facebook. I think Elon Musk even was like doing like the hashtag delete Facebook, as if like, you know, basically this Facebook gave some of its data to this uh, company that was then based trying to like do this voodoo election voodoo and like come up with ways of swaying voters. Uh, and Donald Trump hired them to like work on his campaign, although it's not clear. How much work they actually did on his campaign. And everybody was freaking out about Cambridge Analytica, Cambridge Analytica, as if it's some kind of like total, like, you know, Death Star, totally like um, unique, unprecedented kind of company that's trying to manipulate people. And it's like, well, actually like Cambridge Analytica, what it was trying to do in the election, which was use social media to sway voters, right? Was it's like, it's like every... Uh, presidential campaign, every campaign with a bit of money basically uses that kind of technology. And like the Republicans have their own company, several companies that do that, exactly the same thing that Cambridge Analytica does. Um, the Democratic Party has its own proprietary system that like it basically leases out you know for money to Democratic uh, Party candidates that does exactly the same thing, which basically plugs into Facebook, uh, basically targets people who are you know, like either already want to vote for you or on your side or maybe are easily swayed. And so like to target, you know, to target your ads specifically at them uh, to help you hone your, your digital campaign. And so like, there's a selective outrage about these, you know, these little things, but no one is actually taking a step back and looking at the larger ecosystem, right? Or where this stuff exists. Yeah. yeah. So I totally agree I, with I, you, man. Like, it's like, it's just like, it's just, we have these freakouts all the time over these things. And it's like, then the freakout some... disappears. And then, like, you freak out over the next thing. Yeah.
0: This is a metaphor we use on the show a lot. I'm sure, like, our users are going to be tired of hearing it. But we were talking about uh, Baudrillard and uh, hyper-reality. Like, the idea of hyper-reality is basically, like, think um, prisons, like, the opposite, the world outside prisons. Or people think Vegas is the opposite of non-Vegas. Or people think, like, porn is, like, the opposite of uh, decent everyday life when the theory of hyper reality says that it's two things. It's actually a concentration everyday life. So it's like Disneyland mm-hmm. is is a theme park, but so is LA. Like like Disneyland is like LA's cube, the LA on steroids, like you know, mm-hmm. and and Vegas is like um the hyper capitalism or the super consumerism or the Uh, pornographication of society but like concentrated and not only are they a a concentrated version of the real world, which is why they're called hyper reality, you know, prison is like a, a hyper concentrated version of the surveillance and policing and uh, state oversight of the regular world. Like, not only totally. are they hyper concentration of it, the comforting fiction of it is that it allows us to think we live in the opposite. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the existence of prison makes us think that we live in the opposite of prison, not that um, totally. we just live in a diluted version of it. That, you know, pornography allows us to uh, deny how much of our everyday lives are permeated by uh, pornographic values, et cetera. And yeah, I think and, and Cambridge Analytica. Like yeah, and, and sexual yeah, desire think, and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. totally. Exactly.
0: You know? I think yeah. Cambridge Analytica was like a nice convenient target like we get nice and outraged about this and treat it like it's the opposite of the rest of the internet it allows us to continue to live our everyday life surfing the internet blissfully nice and fine because this Cambridge Analytica is like the blip the weird opposite like misuse of the internet rather than it's pure internet
1: and what it could be used for and it's like most vile form and it's yes and the internet
0: is shot through with it.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's so you're so 100% right about that. Exactly. Like it's like rather than it being something aside apart from the internet and and it's it is actually like just the normal manifestation of what the internet is or tries to do at least. Because I think yeah, the other side of it is that most of the time it spectacularly fails. I mean, like yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. It's like we take these things on there, like or like, oh my God, they're saying that they can like you know sway voters to voting for Donald Trump by doing this like you know matrix of their desires and cultural preferences, and they can like pinpoint the exact message that will like push them to Donald Trump. It's like that's bullshit, you know. Like you're not gonna like they're just that's just a marketing pitch, you know, for to people who are kind of gullible, you know, the people who are paying for this. All right. And and so, like, but people are taking them at their word um, because I think a lot of this big data stuff is actually just, you know, a bunch of just like, it's just con, art, con, con artistry stuff. You know, it's like you're basically selling people something that you might be able to meet by, you know, 10% of the time, you know, but you make yeah, all these claims. Yeah, I totally claims. agree. And like, yeah, you, a you lot see of it, it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, a lot of it is junk science. But the one thing they are good at collecting a very, very hyper specific data. It, 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 the part where I think they fail, and I think your book kind of makes this clear is. They're not always good at making their behavioral science promises of what they can do with the data pan out. But the collection part, Mm -hmm. flawless, which is what makes them really good for deep state, for law enforcement. Because law enforcement just needs the data. Yeah. And they can work wonders with the data because they just need to know... Who's doing what? What they can find, they just want to. It's like a form of wiretapping, you know. They just want to collect information, have a cause to uh, do a warrant against you, or
1: yeah. Or but I think, you, but, you, but, you know? but, but you know, what's funny is I think that's like that information is just kind of useless anyway because it's just like it's not so hard, you know. It's like to you know to figure out who to target, you know, like who's the guy you yeah. know, that you're looking for. It's like if you just want to like entrap people or basically, I know that there's like this horrible programs. I know the New New York is like at the forefront of this stuff. Is basically they have these Facebook units, right? Like these that basically try to like you know, if there's a crime somewhere, they basically like try to figure out, okay, we know that it's this guy and let's look through his like Facebook profiles of all his friends and see like who he hangs out with. And if we can find like someone in the same picture as that guy, and then we can actually like, you know, get a warrant on, you know, his cell phone. And we can say, oh, he was in the general vicinity at the time that the crime happened. He's likely like, you know, an accomplice, right? And they just like arrest the guy on that. And then there's a guy, I think, I mean, people spend... Months and maybe years in jail for this stuff, you know, like the totally cooked up, completely concocted evidence just from like a, a new, you know, cyber crime, like cyber division of the in, in New York Police Department, which is just like, but it, but they're just entrapping people for no fucking reason, it seems like, you know, like, so it's yeah, like,
0: yeah. So, so yeah. if anything, the fact that it doesn't work actually makes it scarier for yes, the average exactly. person because yeah. at least if it did work, you can at least rest assured, hey, as long as I do the right thing, this is fighting the right people who are doing the bad stuff. But I think, no, yeah. like, this. Yeah. yeah, your data ending up in these people's hands, you know, can actually get you in more trouble, even if you've done nothing wrong, just because they're
1: doing all these type of specious connections. And I, I, I mean, you know, just think about how kind of funny this. I mean, just there's a there's a whole comedy to this to this like cybernetic stuff. It's like you know, you go from like you know these utopian ideas about like making the world more efficient and making it like you know using basically extending the extending the power of, of human beings with just technology, right, and making us like almost like godlike in our abilities. And then like, and then you're like, okay, you know, 30 years passes and you look what happened. And you're like, you basically have Google targeting you with like ads for like some underwear. Cause you like, you know, texted with someone about some, something, you know, like, like, and they're just following you around, you know, for, for the next three days. Like, and you don't even want, you don't, you're not even interested in that, you know, cause it's like, cause it's just some YouTube video you watch that had some kind of underwear thing. It's like, it's totally, it's actually kind of ridiculous. Like what it's been, what has been. What the idea of what to do with all this data is just to t- sell you stuff you don't need, and to, and to and to and to usually get it wrong, like what you're actually interested in. And so, like that's the whole thing. Is what I'm saying is like all these people make these claims, and they're saying, "Oh no, no, we just need more data, and then we'll know we'll know people. We know exactly what we want, and we can create this new world. And this new world is about selling you junk that you don't." Need. Yeah, and
0: I think that's part of the problem. With this Guardian review of what of your book is that it's acting like you're trying to make some giant grand scheme like you know um some some giant nefarious plan but what your book actually does is kind of show like a lot of times people don't even know what to do with the data or what the clear plan is they have a general idea they just think they just collect all this data and then a plan will take shape and a lot of times they're just making it up as they go along and that's kind of what makes it even scarier There, a lot of it is um like even with the early ARPA stuff like there were all these grand promises but mm-hmm. after a while like in the jungles of Vietnam in that, in that project like no one even knew what the point was anymore like they just had these things going on that uh were having misinformation when bad information came back someone just said well keep trying till you get the conclusions we want and there's just a bunch people living it up on um you know th- things like Project Agile yeah, and totally the combat the, developing test centers and stuff and well, I mean yeah. a lot of this, yeah yeah, yeah. A-, a lot of the lofty goals that they start with kind of just devolve into like a free for all of grifters and people just telling people what they want to hear and just collecting data and getting more data than could be possibly ever useful.
1: No, exactly. I mean you know one of the things about this whole thing it's like you know so part of what the internet came out of uh, the technology that, that that sort of underlies it or even just the, the idea of like collecting data on people and using it to manage. The world, you know, came out of these counterinsurgency campaigns and like, and they're like, okay, yeah, we got to understand, you know, like we're in Vietnam, like we're fighting this colonial war that we've taken over from the French, you know, against this independence movement, essentially this like, you know, grassroots independence movement that wanted, that started by wanting to kick out the French, um, like French colonial government and sort of like run their own country, right. Without like these Frenchies from like, you know, other side of the world, like basically ruling things and extracting um, resources from their country. Like that's the whole point of what that like what that war was about, right? And America comes yeah. in, it's like, all right, what's, what makes these people tick? It's like, uh, yeah, like it's pretty obvious what makes them tick. It's like, you leave, the war ends, you know? like. And there's like, and so the question is, what if like they plug all their data into their computer, right? And like they study the population, they study these Vietnamese peasants, they crunch it, their models are amazing, right? Like, and the answer comes out of like, you should just leave, right? Like that's Here. not, a, that's not a thing that they're going to follow, right? That's not, a, that's not an option. Cause the point is, it's not about like what they want. It's about America, you know, thinks that like, if it doesn't like defeat these people who are being backed by, you know, like China and by, and by Russia to some degree, they think it's, this is like, you know, the vanguard of like the sort of the, the, the red, like the red curtain that's going to descend on the whole world and, you know, make everything communist. And so their whole paranoia is that like, we actually need to stop, you know, stop this in its tracks, because it's political; it's the motivation of why America's there is like ideological and political. It's not about like efficient management. Yet, like you know, the whole point of this, like of this of these data collection programs that were targeting you know Vietnamese people to try to get to understand what made them tick is sort of like busy work in essence, right? To give um, cover to already a predetermined policy, right? Which was to try to defeat the sort of like communist-backed, right? Um, insurgency and and rebels re, re, north vietnamese uh, army right like that was predetermined that's a political thing it has nothing to do with the data no matter no amount of data is going to change you know the actual decision that was made at the top politically right and so yeah. and so I, w- w- the way that i see this stuff is frequently you see these you see these programs and you see all this data collection is actually just a veneer pretty thin one for just like trying to give rational and irrational sort of um uh justification right science based justification for a predetermined policy, and so if you have things that this that this model says, wait, uh, maybe we should just get out of here. Like that's not that's like that's not an option that's going to be programmed into that model. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, it, yeah. W- w-
0: w- one thing I love is all the uh, names of different programs, like Igloo White and and uh, yeah, like ARPA, DARPA. I, I feel M-K-O, like there's so much yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. yeah like there's so much time spent in making acronyms. They love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, oh there's so there's so many different like acronyms that morph into other acronyms and code names. I forgot the name of the thing that Operation Ranch Hand. Oh Ranch Hand, um, yeah,
1: that's an evil one, man. Y- yeah,
0: it's a really evil one. That's Project the- Agile. Yes. And it's like you can see how you kinda lose track of everything with all these different projects, have sub projects and this is something that I love. Like Igloo White ran for um five years. Total cost $5 billion, about $30 billion today. Widely praised, you know, um, huge program. And then the gorillas l- simply learned to confuse the sensors with tape-recorded truck noises bags of urine and other <laughs> decoys which provoked the release of countless tons of bombs onto empty jungle uh corridors after which they just traversed at their leisure yes. uh you know which, which i thought you know was, was kind of funny that they just found these simple ways to just uh using bags of urine and stuff <laughs> to just uh counteract this 30 billion dollar five-year
1: no, totally. It's, it's like it's it's. I mean, it's almost like because you know these these engineers that are making this. I mean, they um, they must have an extremely low opinion of you know of like people in Vietnam. You know who are, like, who are <laughs> yeah. like, are they like that stupid that they're like? Imagine like it's a sensor, right? It's supposed to detect movements through the jungle of the of sort of rebel forces, North Vietnamese rebel forces, and like you know, uh, and so there's, you know, there's a sensor like that vibrates the ground, and so you can you know see if anyone's moving through there, or like smells people, or like listens to car, you know truck noises. And it's like so. Imagine you're like walking in the jungle. You know, there's like you're you're a very experienced sort of guerrilla fighter who knows the area very well, right? And you, out of the sky, comes this freaking thing, like you know, like a three foot, a three foot kind of like rocket, small rocket that plants into the ground with a fucking antenna that sticks out of it, you know? And that's like sometimes crudely camouflaged with some, like something that looks kind of like a branch. You know, and it's like, you're like going to understand that that is like some kind of sensor, you know, it's like, and you're going to mess with it and you're going to very quickly understand what what that thing is doing. And so, of course, even even if it works at
0: first, you know, you're going to figure it out. Yeah, very
1: quickly. I mean, it's like, so they have this kind of very, it's almost a very like, you know, like what, like they have a very low opinion of the intelligence of the people that they're fighting, it seems like, because that's the system is not, it's like, it's, so it's almost cartoonish in the sense that like, you know, that's the other thing about, a lot of this stuff.
0: It's, it's very Wile Coyote Coyote Roadrunner. Yes, it yes, felt yes, to me. yes, yes. You know, yeah. you know Roadrunner always gets these uh, products, high-tech exactly, products from exactly. Acme. Exactly, yes. Acme, yes. And they, yeah, and yeah, then the Roadrunner just doesn't have any type of special uh, thing he's doing, and the wily Coyote just fucks himself up with the gadget. It's that's exactly that. Like.
1: It's exactly yeah. that. Exactly. It's exactly. It's You're always like, it's like the fetishes, you fetishize like the gadgets and, and the technology. And like, I mean, you know, but that's the other part of it I think is important to remember is that like, even if it's a total waste, it's actually... Not bad, I mean, for the people who are involved, because look, most of the times who's building these systems are military contractors, you know, big companies. I mean, IBM is, let's, for instance, supplying the uh, the computers and like the, the technology for this. You know, there's like, then you have other contractors building this stuff. So you have, you know, huge, you know, what is essentially you know, corporate subsidies. You know, basically you're just funding these corporations, right, to build stuff, will work for a couple of years, will not really work at all, not really do anything probably, but like it'll it's like a redistribution mechanism, right? That goes from, uh, you know, American taxpayers to giant corporations that build this stuff. So there's like, that's another side of this. I think, you know, um, even if it's like fails, you know, it's like, like failure isn't actually a very subjective, uh, you know, Term right like fails and, fails and these, in and these what things,
0: yeah yeah and these these things keep getting tweaked and reincarnating because you kind of brought brought up how this um kind of failed through bags of urine and whatever but they have a version of this that they tweaked and refined that's now in the Mexican border.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, inspired by this stuff. It almost immediately was almost immediately the the sort of uh, border, you know, digital like bugged surveillance field in in the jungles. Immediately came to I mean like within a couple of years it was starting to be de- de- deployed yeah on, on the Mexican border exactly. So, and again like okay, so may I don't even know how well that works. I mean, it, I think fairly poorly to be honest because I know that Probably. um like there was actually did some reporting on this for Wired. Um, it never actually ended up running in the Wired and it actually was reprinted in, in, in Vice magazine a few years after that. But we're actually hung out with one of these totally racist, anti-Semitic, uh, you know, I'm Jewish, so it's like pretty weird, uh, like Borgia Vigilante guys that was actually living on the border. Uh, and like he wanted to create his own like uh, grassroots um, sort of crowdfunded uh, surveillance network that where he would mount like these internet cameras on the border. So th- like, this, yeah. is, this is like 2009. So this is like way back back in the day. And then he'd have like- I digi- think I
0: actually read this. It sounds familiar. Digital yeah, v- familiar. He would
1: have these digital vigilantes like, you know, all around America, basically logging in and like watching the border from their like freaking couch, you know? Uh, yeah, I, but, but
0: I, I could see a major uh, government <laughs> initiative
1: doing something very similar.
0: But, in but the they business. tried. And that, that's what I, yeah. I was
1: getting to. They tried, but it totally, the Bush administration gave like a several billion dollars, I think, to Boeing to develop like a, this was at the same time that I was reporting the story. And it like, they, Boeing like spent a couple of billion just like developing a prototype. And then like the money just disappeared and they had no prototype even built. And like the whole thing was just then just sort of like quietly closed down and everybody moved on, you know, like, like. But but that's
0: a perfect example of why you can't just trust interviewing one or two people to get a whole picture of stuff. Cause sometimes just incompetence gets things lost. Yes. Sometimes the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Things just kind of it's like people have this hyper-efficient view of the government, yeah, you know, and movies really kind of inspire this where it's just it's like any other bureaucracy. It's it's just it's just a more powerful version of the DMV. Actually, the DMV is probably more DMV is like, pretty like efficient, man. I gotta say. Like, yeah, yeah, They're actually, I like, actually for like the DMV DVD. even. Yeah. 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 it's probably unfair to compare to the DMV. totally
1: like, i mean they, they actually get they, they actually they're they, they're useful i mean they get you stuff yeah. like and usually yeah. they get you a, a, like a driver's license just got you know like also, yeah like a new driver's license like within like you know four or five days of coming they already had one in the mail man it's, it was amazing yeah and probably like way more organized too because they don't have to keep trying i, I to mean you know from, i mean but themselves. to your point i think you're right in the sense that like again it's like what's the point of these things is it really to keep america safe you know what does that even mean right like like the point yeah. of it is to keep there's this machine machinery that like depends on you know constant contracts you know and constant iterations for this for, for various projects you know that are like are built as you know have national security aspects and like this is just you know this is such a huge like you know flow of money right every year for the defense budget in all sorts of different ways and like the internet came out of that. And so, but, but so, I mean, there is something kind of useful in it, I guess, I guess right? But the problem yeah. with the way that it was transferred in, to the public was it was it was very undemocratic. I mean, it was essentially kind of you know handed over to just a handful of companies, and 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 like there was no like public input into this. And so sometimes public money, even if it's sort of wasteful, can produce like interesting technology that's maybe useful to a wider public. But then also the way that it gets privatized, to, you know, is and it's also like a kind of a controlled process. Uh, and in the end, like even though, you know, the US sort of American people or whatever, you know, like fund the internet, the creation of the internet, the research that went into there. Right. That was the with, their, with the money that like, you know, the, the the budget of the American government that they fund um, it, like it was privatized to private corporations. They don't even they don't even have a stake in in the you know, in this like developed technology any, anymore. Right. Um, yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, they pretty much got their hands out of uh, developing this stuff a while ago, and now it's just pretty much private industry that does this now. But the private industry now sells a lot of its findings back to the government.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And I'd still say that uh, it's not exactly true. I mean, I'd, st- I, I'd say, yes, it's the private industry is contributing mo- a lot of money to, you know, like re- re- developing technology, but I still think the, the, the seed money for like the original, like what that launched a lot of this stuff still comes from the government um, and is distributed, you know, u- via university grants and things like that. So I think- Yeah, that makes sense. Like a lot of the apply, like a lot of the, uh, like basically like it works like this. It's like the, the federal government takes a huge gamble on all this technology, right? It spends, you know, just billions or trillions, you know, Like developing things that sometimes work that sometimes don't work. And so once they're proven to work, that's when like at that level, that's when the corporate sort of sector takes over. So they rarely bet on things that are like, or like, develop things from from zero. Uh, is, is sort of my my uh, understanding of it. Sort of what I've seen. Sort of you know, researching this history and writing this history is that like, you know, because they don't want to take a, such a huge gamble on something that might never pay might off, not work. right? So it's like yeah. we take sort of the government takes all the risks and then privatizes the rewards um, to the to 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 the corporate world. Yeah. Uh,
0: something I found interesting a recurring theme was seemed to pop into your book as we got into the private part because your book starts with how a lot of stuff started with the government and uh, the academic sphere and then as they privatized in the later on the 80s and 90s a lot of this stuff started re-popping up in uh, private things like things like uh, American Airlines had this thing called Sable that was basically a private version of what ARPA first had which was Sage and whereas Sage was kind of outdated like as soon as it came out um the uh, american airlines version which was called like sable basically helped to destroy its rivals like their private version was worked very well and was very useful for them and similarly um what google has the whole multi-platform system of information that Google has is a lot like what ARPA was trying to do with counterinsurgency stuff in the 60s and 70s. You you say uh, how it has, and this is from your book, this is a passage, an eerie resemblance to the early data-driven counterinsurgency initiatives funded by ARPA in the 60s and 70s. And you mentioned uh, mapping value systems, and social relationships of rebellious tribes and political groups in the hope of isolating the factors that made them revolt, and then ultimately using the information to build predictive models to stop insurgencies before they happen, and a bunch of other stuff, and the Cambridge Project. And then you talk about how Google's predictive system, which arrived 35 years later, was more advanced and sophisticated than ARPA's crude first-generational database tools, but it was also very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I thought that was an interesting... uh, Theme that kept coming up in your book that a lot of times private industry uh, for consumer reasons ends up uh, perfecting or you know expanding on ideas that you know were first tried and failed in the government. But then ironically enough, uh, you didn't go on later about how Google just starts selling all this stuff information. Whats this ultimate ultimate use for not to government and law enforcement agencies
1: anyway? Totally. I mean, yeah, I mean Google and is a is a is a military contractor, right? I mean, um, and so, it's like full, it goes full circle. It's kind of like the way that these ecosystems, it's the way that like, I guess, fundamentally in the way, in modern America, the way that like the technology transfer, development of technology and then transfer uh, it works, it's like the government funds the original research that develops this technology, you know, puts a bunch of money into it, takes risks, obviously, because not all of it pans out. When it becomes like viable, it's basically privatized to this private sector. Uh, and then it's sort of developed as a, or as a product. And then that product is... You know, at times sold, you know, right back to the government, or sold to consumers and the government, or just to consumers. But like, but it makes this kind of full circle, you know. So yeah, so Google, as you know, as is Amazon, um, they are like major military contractors with the like with contracts with just about every federal agency, including you know the NSA, the CIA, uh, the Air Force, you know, Army. Uh, all of them um and so like yeah i mean so google is a yeah, it's like it it, it it's an encapsulate sort of the 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 original intent of those programs that led to the creation of the internet which was to um create collect data on people and and create predictive models uh, about their behavior and and uh, um you know in, in in case of you know whatever the the us government maybe wants to prevent revolutions or to see uh what's what's like forecast Political trends, you know, in the case of Google, it wants to see if you're going to like, like, you know, whatever, uh, like w- what it is that you might be interested in at the moment you're searching for something, you know, so it can show you the right ad. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty debased, I got to say, like, it's kind of depressing, man, like that Google with all of yeah. its resources, you know, it's a giant company, right? Like with revenues of a hundred billion dollars or more. You know, like, and all it really does is just wants to, it's like an ad company. It's just a, more of a sophisticated yeah. ad company. And so like, it's kind of depressing, isn't it? Like, all Everything these the about sources.
0: the internet, yeah. Yeah. at the end of the day, no matter how much techno-utopism people proclaim about it, it just seems to eventually just Turned everything into getting people to click on ads. Whether like it's, cheap, Facebook, yeah,
1: it's like a yeah, cheap, marketing bullshit. Yeah, like it's what it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No matter how much possibilities you try to uh, proclaim for it, that's all it ever ends up doing. Whether it, it's turned journalism into that. Like journalism now is just
1: all geared towards selling
0: ads. Now that's that's all. That's all yeah. it is now. Or like ratings.
1: Yeah. Or like ratings with the TV. And like that's what you know, network journalist, network you know, TV exactly. is about. Like total, just you know. Yeah. And, and,
0: and the internet has just accelerated. Uh, totally. Totally.